Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I'm here with Colette Hirsch uh, from the Institute of Psychiatry and Psychology and Neuroscience here at King's College London, who has just given a talk on resilience from a psychological perspective. Um, work with teachers, work with cancer survivors, and lots of online interesting work. So Colette, tell us a bit about this. Well, um, perhaps um, I could start with thinking about the uh, resilience in, in cancer survivors. Um, I suppose what I'd really noticed is that you get assailed by information about cancer every day in the newspapers and in the media. And how do people navigate their way through life where you can think about the ongoing medication and maybe checkups that you need and think about the content of those articles, but then be able to shift back and really focus on non-cancer-related aspects of your life and whether there are going to be individual differences in the capability of people to do that on demand when they're wanting to no longer think about um, cancer. And I suppose that then drew on our work in people who worry about lots of different topics and our understanding about thinking habits that keep worry going. And so what we've chosen to do is really test whether the thinking habits that are unhelpful and keep people focused on worry in uh, when, when people feel anxious, are those similar to the habits that might promote um, helpful streams of thinking that might uh, really be reflected in people who are more resilient after uh, the kind of really challenging situation of having had a, a treatment for cancer. And you're kind of focusing on groups that obviously um, are having a hard time, mm-hmm. cancer survivors, it's for an example, or a profession, teachers, who are yeah. clearly very stressed and burnt out and need to be incredibly resilient just to get through to the end of the week. Yeah. So tell us a bit about the work with teachers and how you've kind of looked at these negative thinking concepts and, and the links to resilience. Yeah. So what we wanted to do is to determine whether there are certain aspects or individual differences that, that can foster kind of resilience to the ongoing, you know, ever-present stress of being a teacher that can fluctuate when there's an Ofsted coming up or there are exams, but actually is you know, you're, you're on duty all day, you're standing in front of the class, you're, it's a very demanding situation, then you're having to deal with homework, and actually, how do you switch off at the end of the day? And maybe similar uh, thinking habits are the same as those with individuals with um, uh, who survived cancer in terms of being the habits that can kind of foster an ability to, be, to remain emotionally resilient in those situations. That doesn't mean to say that people won't feel emotional. I think emotions are really important. It's just when they get sort of so dominant that they're really interfering with people's lives that's what we're, we're hoping to be able to um, help people reduce um, so with teacher research what we've been doing is um, having people uh, we, we, what we've been looking at is the tendency to draw more negative conclusions from unclear situations so for example um, a teacher might encounter a, a, a parent at a parent's evening who comes over looking uh, with a kind of a, a slightly um, concerned look on their face one teacher might interpret that as them going to be saying that they're concerned about their child and wanting to work out how they can work together to try and improve their uh, the child's academic performance but another teacher might interpret that as the teacher um, uh, being told off by the parent for not doing a good enough job at teaching their their child that's going to have a different emotional impact depending on the way you interpret things and so that's one of the, the aspects that we're particularly interested in, is how people draw conclusions in different situations and whether there's a more helpful style for that. And you're also kind of uh, working with online 
training using CBT processes to try and help people who have this kind of tendency to think negatively and you had some really interesting um, compelling results in this so yeah tell us about those. So um, yeah this is a different uh, bit of research that we've been doing with people who tend to worry about the future thinking oh my goodness it could go wrong in this way this way this way or ruminate about the past like chewing over past events why did that happen to me what was it that I did kind of really streams of negative thinking that make it really difficult to concentrate on the task at hand. So um, what we've done is we've um, developed a training package where people listen to uh, short scenarios where the uh, information's kind of ambiguous and unclear and they either have uh, presented with a positive outcome or have to generate a positive outcome themselves and then um, what we find is that we can change the habit to make negative interpretations and in turn that reduces worry, anxiety and depression so that it seems that by targeting a very specific thinking habit we can um, enable people to find that they worry less and feel less anxious and depressed which is quite a good thing. And you think of that as a kind of low intensity intervention that we could potentially use the, with people who are waiting for I don't know, face-to-face -face CBT or is it more something that could actually... Um, work alongside conventional face-to-face -face CBT? So to date we, we, we have tested this in as an experiment and it's not been tested as an intervention yet. I think that um, we're just now on the brink of being able to perhaps think that this could be a low-intensity intervention and um, it also could be something that could be used in keeping with cognitive behaviour therapy as a kind of an extra piece of homework. Um, but at the moment, we really need to do the research to determine whether that is going to be of help because we don't want people doing something that isn't going to be ultimately beneficial to them. So we want to kind of make sure that the research really shows that that's a strong, a strong argument for that. The data to date certainly is looking really encouraging, but I wouldn't want to jump forward um, in, in, and, and say that it now is a treatment. That's a very careful and conservative <laughs> response. So have you, have you got an RCT plan? I do, actually, yeah. Um, I'm hoping... I'm, well, we're thinking about prevention here, and some of the research we also do in the group is on um, pregnant mothers. There's lots of problem with anxiety in pregnancy and um, in the two years post-birth, so the perinatal period, as it's known. And we have shown, again, that there tends to be this tendency to generate inter negative interpretations, and we're um, hoping to get some funding for some research where we'll use the platform that we've already got for people with anxiety and depression to see if we can prevent the escalation of anxiety and the development of anxiety disorders in this period. We've got a single session experiment we're running at the moment that's trying to see whether that could be useful or not. So if people are interested in taking part, please do get in touch. So if there are anxious pregnant women listening who are interested in that, yeah. what should they do? They, should, they could contact me at King's College London um, and we, we, if they're able to get down to um, Denmark Hill, which is in South London, that would be really helpful and they could come and take part in research that could really pave the way for future interventions to, to prevent perinatal anxiety. Great, really exciting work. Thanks a lot for talking to me. Okay, thank you. Thank you.